The following episode of the Halcyon Sojourn Story Half Hour is brought to you by Birds Who Like Pomegranate Mixed Media Music Magazine. This broadcast was originally recorded live Thursday, June 18th, 2020 at Halcyon Sojourn on Instagram. This is an extended remix version of that session with an added half-hour reading of Randall Yarell's The Bat Poet. And now... On with the show. It's 6.04. It's Albany, California. And welcome to the first story time that we're doing here on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. 6 o'clock Pacific Standard Time and uh, 6 to 6.30. It's the Halcyon Sojourn Story Half Hour. There's a couple of books here. We have a non-fiction and we have a fiction book here. You can see it. Jump rope jingles and other useful rhymes. Um, I've already picked out a few I'm going to kind of get into with the right hand, and uh, hopefully you enjoy these. And then also, um, we'll be getting into a little bit of the Bat Poet. The Bat Poet, my favorite, my actual favorite book in the whole wide world, The Bat Poet. So um, anyway, we're going to save that for the second half of the 15 minutes. Um, let's get into um, what we're going to do with Jump Rope Rhymes. I'm going to do some narration, but um, I'll be off the screen so the right hand can kind of take over with the left hand and you can actually see the pages. Uh, we can zoom in and stuff. So let, let me move out of the way. There's an introduction, Jump Rope Rhymes, Jump Rope Jingles, and other useful rhymes. I'm going to read the first one that stood out to us. Was this one called The Thread Was Thin? I went to town and met Miss Brown. She gave me a nickel. I bought a pickle. The pickle was sour. I bought a flower. The flower was red. I bought some thread. The thread was thin. I bought a pin. The pin was sharp. I bought a harp. And on this harp I played, rooms for rent and choir within. When I move out, let blank move in. There's a name here. The name is Ida. I wonder if that's Ida. She's the one who's jumping in. Hmm. My question is, is have you ever done any jump roping? And if you had, did you say any rhymes you were doing your jump roping. People like to say that. It keeps the rhythm. The rhythm is just a pattern of sounds. Sometimes those sounds are words. Sometimes those sounds are just sounds in a word. And then sometimes they're just rhyming words at the end of a line. Like these. Town. Brown. Nickel. Pickle. Sour. Flower. Red, thread, thin, pin. Now looking at thin and pin, these just happen to be two words that end in the exact same spelling. In, I-N, in, in. But look at sour and flower. They're spelled a little differently. That's okay. They still rhyme. All right. Let's get into another one that I thought was kind of interesting. 
And that one's on page six. And it's called, I went upstairs. I went upstairs. I went upstairs to make my bed and by mistake, I bumped my head. I went downstairs to cook my food and by mistake, I cooked my shoe. I went downstairs to hang some clothes and by mistake, I hung my toes. What you gonna feed him? Knuckle bones. Who you gonna marry? Buck Jones. Where you gonna live at? Downtown. Who you gonna marry? Johnny Mac Brown. Kind of a weird poem, just a little bit. Let's talk about it. What an odd combination of words. I wonder if they all really go together. Here's what I mean. I went upstairs to make my bed, and by mistake, I bumped my head. So far, I'm totally with this story, all the way. I went downstairs to cook my food, and by mistake, I cooked my shoe. Now, I don't know about you, but the word you rhymes with shoe, but food, not so much. I went downstairs to hang some clothes, and by mistake, I hung my toes. Well, I guess if you bump your head, you might make a mistake of hanging something different. But hanging your toes? <laughs> what you gonna feed him? Knuckle bones. Who you gonna marry? Buck Jones. Where you gonna live at? Downtown. Who you gonna marry? Johnny Mac Brown. Who are you gonna marry? Okay. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's another poem that I thought was interesting. This one's a little strange, right? A little strange. But the next one, let's check it out. It's on page seven. It's called Benjamin Franklin. Do you know who Benjamin Franklin is? Well, you're about to find out. Let's read a poem about him first. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin went to France to teach the ladies how to dance. Heel toe, around we go. Heel toe, around we go. Salute to the captain, bow to the queen, and turn your back on the dirty old king. Hmm, very interesting. Now, have you heard of Ben Franklin? You do know that he's one of the few people that are not presidents on American money. Do you know which bill Ben Franklin is on? Hmm? Well, he's on the $100 bill. And he wasn't even a president. There's only one other non-president on American money. And that's Alexander Hamilton. Have you seen the play? I haven't, but I heard it's fantastic. Benjamin Franklin was important though. He was the United States' first ambassador to France. And he wasn't a big fan of a big word called authoritarianism. I think I meant to say authoritarianism. Authoritarianism is when someone tells you what to do and limits your freedom. Kings back in the day tended to be like that, telling all the citizens what to do. And then if they didn't do it, uh, folks would get in really big trouble. That's probably why there is a line in the poem named after Benjamin Franklin. 
to turn your back on the dirty old king, and at that time, between 1773 and 1776, America were just colonies of England. People who had crossed the Atlantic by boat to live on the continent of North America, where the United States is now. But they were very much under the rule of England's king, King George III. Did you know that he was only 23, 20, 23, 22 when he became king? That's kind of young. Would you like to be king when you turn 22? Just don't be an authoritarian. Okay? All right. All right. I think that's it for, um, you know, this book. We're going to move on into something different. This, by the way, is a nonfiction book in the sense that all these rhymes actually came from someplace, most of them back east. Before we close this book, I want to show you something with the writing. In the front of a book, sometimes you can find out information about some things that are inside the book. This is a detail page. Let's see if we can zoom in. Yeah, it's pretty good. Copyright, 1973. Some of these come from other books, like ABC, Golden City, edited by James T.R. Ritchie. That shows up in this book. And it was printed in 1963. Or looking a little closer, it looks There's like some other things in this book that were printed even earlier. 1953. Recorded by other people. But I guess the author of this book, which we can see on the front, Robin B. Kano and Peter F. Neumeyer, those two people, they asked permission if they could reprint it. And they asked permission because other people had a copyright. And so I guess that was okay with them. Yeah, because they give them credit at the beginning of the book. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to present The Bat Poet by Randall Jarrell and pictures by Maurice Sendak and reading by me. Mm-hmm. Hey, right hand, you get it in there. You might have to get a little close so uh, you can actually see the words and the pictures. Because they're gorgeous. Marie Sendak, he's awesome. The Bat Poet. To Mary. Did you know that all books have a dedication page? You should check that out sometime. Look into some of your favorite books. See if you can turn to some of the first two pages and see if you can find the dedication page. Who did the author dedicate the book to? Or the illustrator? It's in there. I know. The Bat Poet by Randall Yarell. Pictures by Maurice Sendak. Once upon a time, there was a bat, a little light brown bat, the color of coffee with cream in it. He looked like a furry mouse with wings. When I'd go in and out my front door in the daytime, I'd look up over my head and see him hanging upside down from the roof of the porch. He and the others hung there in a bunch, all snuggled together with their wings folded fast asleep. Sometimes one of them would wake up for a minute and get in a more comfortable position, and then the others would wriggle around in their sleep, 
till they'd got more comfortable too. When they all moved, it looked as if a fur wave went over them. At night, they'd fly up and down, around and around, and catch insects and eat them. On a rainy night, though, they'd stay snuggled together just as though it were still day. If you pointed a flashlight at them, you'd see them screw up their faces to keep the light out of their eyes. Toward the end of the summer, all the bats, except the little brown one, began sleeping in the barn. He missed them and tried to get them to come back and sleep on the porch with him. What do you want to sleep in the barn for? He asked them. We don't know, the other said. What do you want to sleep on the porch for? It's where we always sleep, he said. If I slept in the barn, I'd be homesick. Do come back and sleep with me. But they wouldn't. So he had to sleep all alone. He missed the others. They had always felt so warm and furry against him. Whenever he'd waked, he'd pushed himself up into the middle of them and gone right back to sleep. Now, he'd wake up. Instead of snuggling against the others and going back to sleep, he would just hang there and think. Sometimes, he would open his eyes a little and look out into the sunlight. It gave him a queer feeling for it to be daytime and for him to be hanging there looking. He felt the way you would feel if you woke up and went to the window and stayed there for hours looking out into the moonlight. It was very different in the daytime. The squirrels and the chipmunk that he had never seen before. At night, they were curled up in their nests or holes fast asleep, ate nuts and acorns and seeds and ran after each other playing. And all the birds hopped and sang and flew at night, they had been asleep, except for the mockingbird. The bat had always heard the mockingbird. The mockingbird would sit on the highest branch of a tree in the moonlight and sing half the night. The bat loved to listen to him. He could imitate all the other birds. He'd even imitate the way the squirrels chattered when they were angry like two rocks being knocked together. And he could imitate the milk bottles being put down on the porch and the barn door closing, a long, rusty squeak. And he made up songs and words all his own that nobody else had ever said or sung. The bat told the other bats about all the things you could see and hear in the daytime. You'd love them, he said. The next time you wake up in the daytime, just keep your eyes open for a while and don't go back to sleep. The other bats were sure they wouldn't like that. We wish we didn't wake up at all, they said. 
When you wake up in the daytime, the light hurts your eyes. The thing to do is to close them and go right back to sleep. Days to sleep in. As soon as it's night, we'll open our eyes. But won't you even try it? The little brown bat said. Just for once, try it. All the bats said no. But why not? asked little brown bat. The bat said, we don't know. We just don't want to. Wow. We just don't want to. What does that say about the collective? Hmm? 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 Well, I have a few questions about that. A few questions about that. Has anyone ever told you that when you've asked them to try something that might be difficult to do, and they said no, but you asked them to do it because it was important? Have you ever tried that? To ask somebody something? To do something for you? Because you thought it was important? And did you get a big fat no? Hmm? Hmm? I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that happened to you. All right, let's see what else. Are you anything like the little brown bat? Do you know anyone like the little brown bat? Are you the little brown bat? Hmm? Are you? I'm not quite like the little brown bat. I'm enthusiastic though, I do have to say that. I do like to check things out. I do. One more question. Um, hmm. Well, if we were to think about the story with a beginning and kind of an end, I do think that it was interesting that the story start off with once upon a time. That's a really good marker for a beginning. Once upon a time, once upon a time, there was something that happened, blah, 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 blah. But at the end, or where we stopped, we stopped at a part where the bat had actually asked all of his buddies, family members for something, just to try something for him. And they all said no. It wasn't because they didn't like the little brown bat. It was because it was difficult to do. It just didn't feel natural or normal. They didn't want to go outside of their comfort zone. Comfort zone. Welcome back to the extended version of The Bat Poet by Randall Yarell. I'm Halcyon Sojourn, and we're going to continue on with the story for your entertainment. At least listen to the mockingbird. When you hear him, it's just like the daytime. The other bat said, he sounds so queer. If only he squeaked or twittered, but he keeps shouting in that bass voice of his. They said this because the mockingbird's voice sounded terribly loud and deep to them. They always made little high twittering sounds themselves. Once you get used to it, you'll like it, the little bat said. Once you get used to it, it sounds wonderful. All right, said the others, we'll try. But they were just being polite. They didn't try. The little brown bat kept waking up in the daytime and kept listening to the mockingbird until one day he thought, I could make up a song like the mockingbirds. But when he tried, his high notes were all high and his low notes were all high and the notes in between were all high. He couldn't make a tune, so he imitated the mockingbird's words instead. At first, his words didn't go together. Even the bat could see that they didn't sound... Um, a bit like the mockingbirds. But after a while, some of them began to sound beautiful, so that the bat said to himself, 
if you get the words right, you don't need a tune. The bat went over and over his words till he could say them off by heart. That night, he said them to the other bats. I've made the words like the mockingbirds, he told them, so you can tell what it's like in the daytime. Then he said to them in a deep voice, he couldn't help imitating the mockingbird, his words about the daytime. At dawn, the sun shines like a million moons, and all the shadows are as bright as moonlight. The birds begin to sing with all their might. The world awakens and forgets the night. The black and gray turns green and gold and blue. The squirrels begin too. But when he'd got this far, the other bats just couldn't keep quiet any longer. The sun hurts, said one. It hurts like getting something in your eyes. That's right, said another. And shadows are black. How can a shadow be bright? Another one said, What's green and gold and blue? When you say things like that, we don't know what you mean. And it's not real, the first one said. When the sun rises, the world goes to sleep. But go on, said one of the others. We didn't mean to interrupt you. No, we're sorry we interrupted you, all the others said. Say us the rest. But when the bat tried to say them the rest, he couldn't remember a word. It was hard to say anything at all. But finally, he said, I, I, tomorrow I'll say you the rest. Then he flew back to the porch. There were lots of insects flying around the light, but he didn't catch a one. Instead, he flew to his rafter, hung there upside down, with his wings folded, and after a while, went to sleep. But he kept on making poems like the mockingbirds, only now he didn't say them to the bats. One night, he saw a mother possum with all her little white baby possums holding tight to her, eating the fallen apples under the apple tree. One night, an owl swooped down on him and came so close, he'd have caught him if the bat hadn't flown into a hole in the old oak by the side of the house. And another time, four squirrels spent the whole morning chasing other up and down trees across the lawn and over the roof. He made up poems about them all, Sometimes the poem would make him think, it's like the mockingbird. This time, it's really like the mockingbird. But sometimes the poem would seem so bad to him that he'd get discouraged and stop in the middle, and by the next day, he'd have forgotten it. When he would wake up in the daytime and hang there, looking out at the colors of the world, he would say the poems over to himself. He wanted to say them to the other bats, but then he would remember what had happened when he'd said them to them before. There was nobody for him to say the poems to. One day, he thought, I could say them to the mockingbird. It got to be a regular thought of his. It was a long time, though, before he really went to the mockingbird. The mockingbird had bad days when he would try to drive everything out of the yard, no matter what it was. He always had a preemptory, authoritative look, as if he were more alive than anything else and wanted everything else to know it. On his bad days, he'd dive on everything that came into the yard, on cats and dogs, even, and strike at them with his little sharp beak and sharp claws. On his good days, he didn't pay so much attention to the world, but just sang. The day the bat went to him, the mockingbird was perched on the highest branch 
of the big willow by the porch, singing with all his might. He was a clear gray with white bars across his wings that flashed when he flew. Every part of him had a clear, quick, decided look about it. He was standing on tiptoe, singing and singing and singing. Sometimes he'd spring up into the air. This time he was singing a song about mockingbirds. The bat fluttered to the nearest branch, hung upside down from it, and listened. Finally, when the mockingbird stopped for a moment, he said in his little high voice, It's beautiful, just beautiful. You like poetry? asked the mockingbird. You could tell from the way he said it that he was surprised. I love it, said the bat. I listen to you every night, every day, too. I, I, it's the last poem I've composed, said the mockingbird. It's called To a Mockingbird. It's wonderful, the bat said. Wonderful. Of all the songs I've ever heard you sing, it's the best. This pleased the mockingbird. Mockingbirds love to be told that their last song is the best. I'll sing it for you again, the mockingbird offered. Oh, please do sing it again, said the bat. I'd love to hear it again. Just love to. Only when you finished, could I? But the mockingbird had already started. He not only sang it again, he made up new parts and sang them over and over and over. They were so beautiful that the bat forgot about his own poem and just listened. When the mockingbird had finished, the bat thought, no, I just can't say him mine. Still, though, he said to the mockingbird, it's wonderful to get to hear you. I could listen to you forever. It's a pleasure to sing to such a responsive audience, said the mockingbird. Anytime you'd like to hear it again, just tell me, the bat said. Could, could, yes, said the mockingbird, and the bat went on in a shy voice. Do you suppose that I, that I could, the mockingbird said warmly, that you could hear it again? Of course you can. I'll be delighted. And he sang it all over again. This time, it was the best of all. The bat told him so, and the mockingbird looked pleased but modest. It was easy for him to look pleased, but hard for him to look modest. He was so full of himself. The bat asked him, Do you suppose a bat could make poems like yours? A bat? The mockingbird said. But then he went on politely. Well, I don't see why not. He couldn't sing them, of course. He simply doesn't have the range. But that's no reason he couldn't make them up. Why, I suppose for bats, a bat's poem would be ideal. The bat said, Sometimes when I wake up in the daytime, I make up poems. Could I... I wonder whether I could say you one of my poems. A queer look came over the mockingbird's face, but he said cordially, I'd be delighted to hear one. Go right ahead. He settled himself on his branch with a listening expression. The bat said, A shadow is floating through the moonlight. Its wings don't make a sound. Its claws are long. Its beak is bright. Its eyes try all the corners of the night. It calls and calls. All the air swells and heaves and washes up and down like water. The ear that listens to the owl believes in death, the bat beneath the eaves. The mouse beside the stone are still as death. The owl's air washes them like water. 
The owl goes back and forth inside the night, and the night holds its breath. When he'd finished his poem, the bat waited for the mockingbird to say something. He didn't know it, but he was holding his breath. Why, I like it, said the mockingbird. Technically, it's quite accomplished. The way you change the rhyme scheme's particularly effective. The bat said, it is? Oh, yes, said the mockingbird. And it was clever of you to have that last line, two feet short. The bat said blankly, two feet short? It's two feet short, said the mockingbird a little impatiently. The next to the last line's iambic pentameter, and the last line's iambic trimeter. The bat looked so bewildered that the mockingbird said in a kind voice, An iambic foot has one weak syllable and one strong syllable. The weak one comes first. That last line of yours has six syllables, and the one before it has ten. When you shorten the last line like that, it gets the effect of the night holding its breath. I didn't know that, the bat said. I just made it like holding your breath. To be sure, to be sure, said the mockingbird. I enjoyed your poem very much. When you've made up some more, do come round and say me another. The bat said that he would and fluttered home to his rafter. Partly, he felt very good. The mockingbird had liked his poem and partly he felt just terrible. He thought, why, I might as well have said it to the bats. What do I care how many feet it has? The owl nearly kills me, and he says he likes the rhyme scheme? He hung there upside down, thinking bitterly. After a while, he said to himself, The trouble isn't making poems. The trouble's finding somebody that will listen to them. Before he went to sleep, he said his owl poem over to himself, and it seemed to him that it was exactly like the owl. The owl would like it, he thought. If only I could say it to the owl. And then he thought, that's it. I can't say it to the owl. I don't dare get that near him. But if I made up a poem about the chipmunk, I could say it to the chipmunk. He'd be interested. The bat got so excited, his fur stood up straight, and he felt warm all over. He thought, I'll go to the chipmunk and say... If you'll give me six crickets, I'll make a poem about you. Really, I'd do it for nothing, but they don't respect something if they get it for nothing. I'll say, for six crickets, I'll do your portrait in verse. The next day, at twilight, the bat flew to the chipmunk's hole. The chipmunk had dozens of holes, but the bat had noticed that there was one he liked best and always slept in. Before long, the chipmunk ran up, his cheeks bulging. Hello, said the bat. The instant he heard the bat, the chipmunk froze. Then he dived into his hole. Wait, wait, the bat cried. But the chipmunk had disappeared. Come back, the bat called. I won't hurt you. But he had to talk for a long time before the chipmunk came back. And even then, he just stuck the tip of his nose out of the hole. The bat hardly knew how to begin, but he timidly said to the chipmunk, who listened timidly, I thought of making this offer to, to the animals of the vicinity. You're the first one I've made it to. The chipmunk didn't say anything. The bat gulped and said quickly, For only six crickets, I'll do your portrait in verse. The chipmunk said, 
What are crickets? The bat felt discouraged. I knew I might have to tell him about poems, he thought, but I never thought I'd have to tell him about crickets. He explained, they're little black things you see on the porch at night by the light. They're awfully good, but that's all right about them. Instead of crickets, you could give me, well, this time, you don't have to give me anything. It's a, an introductory offer. The chipmunk said in a friendly voice, I don't understand. I'll make you a poem about yourself, said the bat. One just about you. He saw from the look in the chipmunk's eyes that the chipmunk didn't understand. The bat said, I'll say you a poem about the owl and then you'll see what it's like. He said his poem and the chipmunk listened intently. When the poem was over, the chipmunk gave a big shiver and said, Ooh, it's terrible, just terrible. Is there really something like that at night? The bat said, If it weren't for that hole in the oak, he'd have gotten me. The chipmunk said in a determined voice, I'm going to bed earlier. Sometimes when there's lots of nuts, I stay out till it's pretty dark, but believe me, I'm never going to again. The bat said, it's a pleasure to say a poem to, to such a responsive audience. Do you want me to start on the poem about you? The chipmunk said thoughtfully, I don't have enough holes. It'd be awfully easy to dig some more holes. Shall I start on the poem about you? Asked the bat. All right, said the chipmunk, but could you put in lots of holes? The first thing in the morning, I'm going to dig myself another. I'll put in a lot, the bat promised. Is there anything else you'd like to have in it? The chipmunk thought for a minute and said, well, nuts and seeds, those big fat seeds they have in the feeder. All right, said the bat. Tomorrow afternoon, I'll be back. Or day after tomorrow, I don't really know how long it will take. He and the chipmunk said goodbye to each other, and he fluttered home to the porch. As soon as he got comfortably settled, he started to work on the poem about the chipmunk. But somehow, he kept coming back to the poem about the owl and what the chipmunk had said and how he'd looked. He didn't say any of that two feet short stuff. The bat thought triumphantly, he was scared. The bat hung there upside down, trying to work on his new poem. He was happy. When at last he'd finished the poem, it took him longer than he'd thought. He went looking for the chipmunk. It was a bright afternoon and the sun blazed in the bat's eyes so that everything looked blurred and golden. When he met the chipmunk hurrying down the path that ran past the old stump, he thought, what a beautiful color he is. Why the fur back by his tail's rosy almost and those lovely black and white stripes on his back. Hello, he said. Hello, said the chipmunk. Is it done yet? All done, said the bat happily. I'll say it to you. It's named The Chipmunk's Day. The chipmunk said in a pleased voice, My day. He sat there and listened while the bat said, In and out the bushes, up the ivy, into the hole. By the old oak stump, the chipmunk flashes, up the pole. To the feeder full of seeds, he dashes, stuffs his cheeks, the chickadee and titmouse scold him down, he streaks. Red as the leaves, the wind blows off the maple. Red as a fox. Striped like a skunk, the chipmunk whistles, 
past the love seat, past the mailbox, down the path, home to his warm hole stuffed with sweet things to eat, neat and slight and shining his front feet. Curled at his breast, he sits there while the sun stripes the red west. With its last light, the chipmunk dives to his rest. When he'd finished, the bat asked, Do you like it? For a moment, the chipmunk didn't say anything. Then he said in a surprised, pleased voice, Say it again. The bat said it again. When he'd finished, the chipmunk said, Oh, it's nice. It all goes in and out, doesn't it? The bat was so pleased he didn't know what to say. Am I really as red as that? asked the chipmunk. Oh, yes, the bat said. You put in the seeds and the hole and everything, exclaimed the chipmunk. I didn't think you could. I thought you'd make me more like the owl. Then he said, say me the owl, the one, the one about the owl. The bat did. The chipmunk said, it makes me shiver. Why do I like it if it makes me shiver? I don't know. I see why the owl would like it, but I don't see why we like it. Who are you going to do now? asked the chipmunk. The bat said, I don't know. I haven't thought about anybody but you. Maybe I could do a bird. Why don't you do the cardinal? He's red and black like me, and he eats seeds at the feeder like me. You'd be in practice. The bat said doubtfully, I've watched him, but I don't know him. I'll ask him, said the chipmunk. I'll tell him what it's like, and then he's sure to want to. That's awfully nice of you, said the bat. I'd love to do one about him. I like to watch him feed his babies. The next day, while the bat was hanging from his rafters, fast asleep, the chipmunk ran up the ivy to the porch and called to the bat. He wants you to, he wants you to. The bat stirred a little and blinked his eyes, and the chipmunk said, The cardinal wants you too. I had a hard time telling him what a poem was, what it was like, but after I did, he wanted you to. All right, said the bat sleepily. I'll start it tonight. <laughs> the chipmunk said, What did you say I was red as? I don't mean a fox. I remember that. As maple leaves, as leaves the wind blows off the maple. Oh, yes, I remember now, the chipmunk said. He ran off contentedly. I'm going to stop there, but I do want to encourage you to go to your local library and please check out The Bat Poet by Randall Yarell. Pictures by Maurice Sendak. And I think as you read the book, these lovely little illustrations will really keep you captivated from page to page. Well, that's it for this podcast episode of the Halcyon Soldier and Writing Club, episode number three. Thanks for listening, and we'll be in touch real soon. But not before we tell you the Halcyon Soldier podcast is brought to you by birds who like pomegranate mixed media music magazine. Check out the website https colon forward slash forward slash halcyon soldier dot wix site w i x s i t e dot com forward slash website and there you'll find us. See ya. <laughs>